Welcome to the My Age Podcast, uh, part of the Podbelly Network, Podbelly Podcast Network. Um, what is the My Age Podcast, you might be asking, if you've never heard before? It is a podcast that brings you conversations uh, from people through all walks of life, using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, thanks for checking it out. Episode, uh, I think it's 36, I should have this written down, but I'm pretty bad. It says it in the title, so, you know, it's irrelevant what I say. But like most things, unfortunately. Um, today's guest, we've got Sophie Benjamin. Sophie plays in, has you know done her time playing in a bunch of bands throughout uh, Brisbane and then later Melbourne. Um, currently plays in a really cool synth kind of pop duo called, which is a really interesting project, um, which I urge you to check out and I'll share on all the socials. Um, and she's also a journalist, um, and I'll. Have a look at, um, see if we can find her Twitter account and share that again throughout the socials and all that kind of jazz. Um, thank you to everybody who signed up to Patreon um, and who still donates money that the old, quote unquote, old fashioned way. Um, it's always really appreciated, uh, but never expected. And I thank you for that. I've actually got a really cool thing in the works at the moment with the Patreon thing. So, um, you know. If you haven't signed up yet and you're in the mood to, just go to patreon.com slash myagepodcast or paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Um, yeah, slide me a dollar or two. Always appreciated, never expected, that kind of thing. I won't talk too much in this intro. Nothing really more that needs to be said. Uh, again, thanks for hanging out and see you at the end of it. Cool. All right, My Age Podcast, episode 36, and with me on the line via, um, it, you know, it should sound like she's right in front of me, but um, actually, before I go on, oh, yeah, no, 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 don't worry about that. It should sound like she's right in front of me, but um, she's not, so but that's how cool technology is. Uh, Sophie Benjamin, writer and musician for synth pop duo, yeah, duo? Yep, Spokes- duo, just the two yeah, of us. spokesmodel, there you go. Yep. What's happening on this fantastic night in Melbourne town? Uh, it's freezing and um, I'm very, very glad to be in a house with um, heating that actually works. My first couple of winters in Melbourne were the bleakest thing ever and I wondered why I'd moved down from Queensland. But anyway, now I've been here wow. for long enough that, uh, you know, I wear black all the time and yep. I'm quite pretentious. So, you know, yeah, you, you, so everyone you adapts the, to their surroundings. You fit the mould, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So you've listened before, which is fantastic. So we yep. kind of we know how we're going to do this. Um, let's just, I guess, go right back. Yeah. Tell us about the early years. Well, um, you know, it's funny because there's I have a Spotify playlist called Mum Music, and my brother has a really similar one, but his is called Songs to Trigger My Siblings. And wow. what what, okay. bo- <laughs> what both those uh, playlists are, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister, is all the stuff that we would listen to uh, really were all around the house and um, on long road trips. Both my, yep. both my parents are really passionate music lovers. Um, both of them came from families where, you know, like being able to play piano and play guitar and sing songs is almost seen as a life skill up there with like knowing how to do your own laundry um it wasn't yeah it wasn't like a special thing like how some people like oh my kid can play guitar and he's you know the best thing ever like in our family that was just seen as oh you know how to play at least one instrument um 
and it's it was it's a real like family social thing to the point where it gets a little bit like at family gatherings particularly on my dad's side it gets very like von trapp family from the sound of music where everyone's right. got guitars out and yep. um which sounds incredibly wholesome um but there's a lot of but there's a the competition edge i'm sure oh there's a competition edge um yeah. mostly now like we had like ended up having a big sing-along at christmas because basically granny just loves it and it's nice yep. um but yeah so anyway mum and dad are both you know music was a huge part of our family growing up um you know there was always you know music playing all the time and I think we had a bit of an unspoken rule in our household where uh you could tell other people to tell turn it down like turn down the music that they were playing that you weren't into tell them to turn it down but you couldn't tell them that it was shit and you had to turn it off Ah, um, that's 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 nice that's diplomatic yeah. probably not a right word but it's 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 nice yeah and I mean so yeah so growing up I didn't really have you know my own access to music until I was about 10 which which we'll get to but yep um when I was just before I started grade one and just before my brother was born we moved from Brisbane to a little town called Emerald which if you get in a car in Brisbane and you drive for about 10 hours without stopping you will get to Emerald east uh sorry Uh, west northwest Northwest. Northwest, okay. Emerald's like maybe the name's too obvious, but it mm. sounds like a mining town. Yeah, pretty much. But ironically, um, it was named after like a, a, you know, farming property. Emerald was farming right. and like full okay. on. F- it was actually, it's like, it's a combo of farming and mining, which is actually good because it means, um, you know, when one industry is having a rough time, like there's a mining crash or there's a drought. Yep. Um, the other other one can can still keep the town going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about 10,000 people. Got a Macca's when I was about 10, I think. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, mum and dad, like, both had big corporate jobs and then went, fuck it, and moved to the country. Mum's grandparents were still out in Emerald and there was a job, you know, that dad got. Yeah. Um, Did she she grow up there? Mum actually grew up in Mackay, um, Mackay okay. and the Whit Sundays. Dad grew up in Brisbane, um, but Mum's grandparents were out near Emerald, and um, they were they lived they were awesome. They lived basically forever. They were still running their cattle farm until they were ninety. So wow. Mum was like, "It's not like we won't have you know." I think Mum really just wanted to raise kids in a country town. You know, she didn't want to raise city kids, having grown up yeah. in the country herself. Um, yeah, so it was only going to be for two years because Dad was really not into the idea. And yep. then 25 years later, they're still there. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, he loves what, it. What what industries out there that kind of he'd stick around for? So that's the funny thing. Um, he The town is farming and mining. Most of my friend's parents growing up, you know, their dads were farmers or miners. Um, and dad is actually an accountant he used to run pubs and then okay decided he didn't want to be running pubs when he had children so he went back to uni became an accountant and was working for a big corporate accounting firm um which he did not love and so there was this big business out there um that owned like a mitre 10 and a few other different businesses all under a conglomerate yeah and um you know i won't get into the you know mechanics of how that business is structured but it 
it's like a cooperative. So it's the perfect mix of capitalism and communism. Okay. And it, yeah. it, it, was, it was going broke. It also owned all these random houses and other weird assets. It had a bad manager. So dad was hired to either kill this beloved, you know, 100-year-old community institution or fix it. And anyway, they've still got a job. He's still there 25 years later. So clearly, years he, later, yeah. Yeah, so he fixed it. But now what the, their main business is this gigantic Mitre 10 the size of a Bunnings. Um, and dad built it, uh, 20 years ago. I went from like a little, like hardware store, like your typical little Mitre 10 to this like gigantic Bunnings warehouse style Mitre 10. Um, and so, yeah, that's what it is. And the way that, you know, you know, so there's always farmers, miners, builders, like they've got a huge timber yard, um, a huge trade department. So everyone, you know, goes through that business everything from homewares to gardens to and I like all three of us worked there we were legit employees we all like you know spent time doing you know picking and packing and being on the checkouts and everything and having to having to deal with working twice as hard because you're the boss's kid yeah Um, yeah they don't want to think you're getting a free ride well that's it but it's so much of like dad's social life like dad's made all his friends like every day like they always joke about his office actually being out the back where he like smokes because of all the smoking oh, right. laws. He can't smoke indoors anymore. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so anyway, he loves it. Like I think, you know, if he retired rather than like going down to a couple of days a week, he'd you know be really depressed. Um, yeah, right. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, so that's why they're there. And then, um, you know, mum like was a stay at home mum. Like she had, you know. She decided that she wanted to be a stay-at-home mum for a while and now she works um, for one of the politicians out there. And okay. she's worked in a few different jobs as well. Um, but, yeah, they just, yeah, they love the community. They, like, that's really what keeps them there, like the whole community vibe. Um, they're both super, super into it, particularly now that we've all grown up and moved away. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's what keeps them all there. But... Anyway, we had a really awesome, uh, you know, childhood there uh, for the most part. We lived in this ridiculous farmhouse that we were renting that was a million years old and, you know, like, yeah. Anyway, it was lots of fun. But because, like, the nearest sort of big regional centre is Rockhampton, which is about three hours' drive away, or you can go to Mackay, which is much less of a shithole and drive for about four hours. Right, and okay. if you want to go to Brisbane where all mum and dad, well, the bulk of mum and dad's family were, and if you ever needed any serious medical stuff done, that's where you'd go. Um, yeah. yeah, that's like a 10-hour drive. So imagine all of our car trips with like mum and dad in the front of like a Land Cruiser, yep. three kids in the back. Um, I would always be put between my brother and sister because my sister would just be like ready to start shit at any yeah. Any moments, she's the one who'd be like, (laughs) you know, my brother. She's the youngest. She, oh yeah, yep, she's the youngest, and so she's got something to prove. She's got something to prove. She like came out of the womb with something to prove, and like I'm eight years older than her and six years older than my brother, um. So I would be like put in between them, and she'd be like trying to like flick my brother and like just. So that's so you imagine all three of us. We'd be taking road trips either down to Brisbane. Or to visit mum and dad, uh, mum's great grandparents, who they tried retiring in their sixties, and then 
because their kids pressured them to. They lasted two months. Went nah, This sucks. We're gonna move back onto a back farm. Yeah, we're yeah. we're gonna we're so bored. We hate this. We're gonna move back to you know our community. But we're yeah, gonna some people pick... just can't give it up, can they? No, and like they were like, okay, but let's be reasonable. But instead of having a gigantic cattle property, we'll have a smaller one, and it'll be closer to town. Um, so yeah, I, like a lot of our childhood was spent strapped in the back of a Land Cruiser. Um, you know, either driving to visit mum's grandparents and go out to their farm or driving back to civilization. Yeah. To, so how uh, often would you make the trip back to Brisbane? Oh, uh, I reckon easily once a year, but potentially yeah. twice a year. And for a little bit of time there, like mum's parents were both sort of in terrible health. So we were going back and forth a fair bit. And yeah, you can right. fly. It's a little bit cheaper to fly out of there now. But back then you're looking at like $800 return flights. Yeah, but yeah, before the advent of super cheap air, like flights. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean back then only Qantas was the when I remember so vividly, like when we moved to Emerald, it was the flight um, that I took up with Mum, who who, and she just had my brother. He was a baby, yeah. and the airport was two sheds and like one shed was the kiosk and the other shed was like That's where awesome. you would like sit waiting for the plane to rock up on this airstrip. Now they've got a proper air, like now they have an actual That's airport wild. now. But yeah, so imagine this kid coming from like this bougie ass suburb in inner Brisbane to this town that had no traffic lights, uh, yeah. an airport that was like two sheds. Um, I think we had a KFC that mightn't have had a drive through. Okay. Um, oh, we had a drive-in because there was no movie theatre. Yeah, this a legit drive-in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is maybe like, and people would rock up in their utes um, to watch the drive-in movie. And sit um, on the back. Yeah, sit in the tray of the ute. Yeah. So, yeah. The tray, yeah, that's the word, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a culture shock. But anyway, as a result, our um, car road trip soundtracks were a mix of like, audiobooks or books on tape as okay. they were back then yep. um just to break it up a little bit um or stage musicals because my dad Fantastic. loves stage loves stage musicals um which is like you know mum mum is his first and only serious girlfriend and I look back and see he was pretty into rugby union and pretty into stage musicals and I think wow no wonder you weren't meeting that many girls because yeah. those interests are a little bit suspect. Yeah, it's, it's and it's very um, it's almost a very both ends of the spectrum. You don't really yeah. hear of rugby players into stage like musicals. Yeah, and, and he, musical people who are into musicals probably don't play rugby. Yeah, exactly. Whereas he like loved both of them. It's extremely bizarre. That's unreal. And that's why it's it, like he's a man of many contrasts. Like Dad runs this hardware store, but he can think of nothing worse to do with his time than like be doing handyman stuff around the house or doing yeah. gardening like he hates it he's just he barely knows how to change the oil in a car um <laughs> so it's all very funny but yes it was stage musicals books on tape and mum and dad's music and one and music that I remember playing them playing heaps of um you know mum loves Bob Dylan they yep. both really love like those 70s singer songwriters like Bob Dylan, Carly Simon, like that real storytelling kind yeah. of thing. A bit of Lou Reed as well, but I remember them just absolutely thrashing um the band. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Who of course like they started out as uh Bob Dylan's backing band. 
yep. um, when there was the whole Dylan goes electric. Turns out if you're electric, you need a band to to you support know, you, yeah, yeah to, to make everything you. make sound right, yeah, yeah. And they'd been hired guns in Canada on their off their own bat, you know, just being hired hired guns behind various people for years, and then yeah. um, you know partnered up with Dylan, and it was all on for there. But they played heaps and heaps of the band, so. Growing up and thinking about influences, I always think of um, uh, the night they drove old Dixie down uh, by the band because in true like Benjamin family style, you would have the song and then you would have mum explaining the song Um, and any song that had a story behind it, she would do that to the point where she, we like there are certain songs that we tease her about um, now that like there's a song... Like you'd know the song if you heard it called "Sunny Came Home," okay, by from Sean the band. Colvin. No, oh, not sorry, from the yeah, band, okay. by someone different. Um, yep. It was like a huge radio hit in the nineties, and whenever it comes on, we're like, "Oh, mum, do you think this song is about an arsonist?" <laughs> because it's <laughs> yeah. that many times, and mum doesn't take like roasting very well, so that makes yeah, it I can even understand. that yeah. takes. She's that, just trying to help. She's just trying, she's to, just trying to help. But I mean, like yeah. generally, it is really good because you know, with Bob Dylan songs, they're you don't listen to Dylan for the singing and the music. Like you listen no. to Bob Dylan for the words and the story. Yeah. Um, he's so the yeah. ultimate in, he's the ultimate in uh, when you think, when someone says, oh, you know, who who did a better cover than the original? It's like, well, pick a Dylan song and someone yeah. did it better. Yeah. It is impossible yeah. to not do it better than Bob yeah. Dylan. Yeah. But, and you know, that's part of his charm, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, there's so much to go on and like, I, you know, like a big part of why I've ended up, um, you know, in journalism and as a writer and sort of, you know, my, my day job career is so much of it is my mum's influence. You know, she was very much into stories and um, history and, you know, here's why this thing is the way that it is or here's yeah. what this story means. And all like I remember her you know, playing lots of Carly Simon songs and lots of those songs had, you know, messages or lessons in them and and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, because I was the, I am the eldest and I was an only child for six years. Yeah. um, I got a lot of one-on-one time and, you know, with with mum particularly. Um, So I remember a lot of, a lot of the band, a lot of Carly Simon, a lot of, um, a little bit of Paul Simon, a little bit of Elton John, um, but anything, you know, that really classic songwriting with a bit of story behind it.
So, two questions. Mm. Um, I assume, but when you said the band, I assume you're going to pick the weight because I guess that's the song that everyone mm. picks. But with like without really studying the lyrics too much, what is the night they drove old Dixie down about? Well, you know, as I pondered picking the weight and I pondered picking um, the version of the weight from um, The Last Waltz, which, you know, is oh, their, yep. you know, their concert film, which I love because it has the Staples singers, um, you know, with Mavis Staples singing on it. Yep. Um, and I just adore Mavis Staples. But then I thought, no, that's cheating because that's not the version, A, that's not the version that mum and dad listen to that in the That is playing, yeah. Yep. Um, as much as I love it. Um, but B, it's the whole story thing. I'm thinking about, you know, mum explaining the lyrics and all the stories around everything. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so the night that uh, they drove old Dixie down is um, really a story about, like, I just want to make sure I get my details, but it's really about the American Civil War. So the Dixie is that whole, you know... That's the, the Dixie's the South, isn't it? Yeah, the South. Yeah. Yeah, so really, um, yeah, so it's a story uh, told from... Um, so, so the band was an interesting thing in that basically um, there was a whole heap of them in, in that band and yep. all of them loved to party a lot. Good, um, fantastic. Yeah. Heaps, and, like, if there was something, if there was a substance, substance to be, you know, in, dabbled in... in uh, yeah. Yep. Take, in, imbibed. Uh, what's, yep, imbibed, yep. Yep, they were like they were down for it, except for the main guitarist dude who. Uh, they also had four vocalists in that band, which is why they do such brilliant harmonies. Yeah. Um, but the main songwriter was the guitarist Robbie Robertson, who um also was involved in the Shrek soundtrack. Um, like fun the, fact: the the whole all of them, or like the first one, or what? The first one, the best one. Okay, right. Um, which was also on rotation. Um on our family road trips, I must say. Um, Anyway, so Robbie Robertson, he was kind of, he was the band leader, you know, like he, it was his band. He was the, you know, the musical director. He wasn't one of the singers, but he did do the bulk of the songwriting. Um, He knew he didn't have the best singing voice. Um, He knew there were way better singers in the band and was happy to kind of, you know, let them do it. The the issue is though, um, he did all the songwriting, all the other dudes were partying and that was fine except when it came to royalty. So a lot of the other dudes ended up a bit impoverished in uh, later life because Robbie got all the songwriting royalties because he wrote all the songs. Yeah, right. Um, and it's been interesting hearing, you know, uh, stories from engineers and stuff who worked with the band saying, you know, look, it's sad what's happened to, you know, the other guys, but I know that they were all sleeping off hangovers and Robbie was there at the piano or there on the guitar, you know, putting early in the, the morning, putting in the work. Um, so, yeah, basically um, the night they drove old Dixie down is a bit of a, a ballad of like the last days of the American Civil War. Um, yeah. So it's that real like the when the Confederate Army um, got defeated. So yeah. you know you can hear if you, if you listen to it, he like is mentioning you know General Lee and um, you know it's really just like a bit of a, 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 a you know a, a song about like talking about those last few battles where you know the Confederates were being defeated and you know it yep. was just you know. It's actually like pretty. The amount of detail he's 
put into that song like he sings about shit that actually happened like how yeah. you know the union cavalry like ripped up the train tracks to stop black supplies getting through um like there's a lot of historical data that he's managed to put into this yeah put melody with yeah to put melody with and yeah, yeah. to have fact you know to have all those facts in it and you know it's sung from like you know the the perspective of one of the soldiers you yep. know you know Virgil Kane is my name and you know I was on the Danceville train um so yeah that's kind of what it is like it's he's every he's done that thing which I love um where he's I mean Bruce um Dickinson from Iron Maiden does it too actually because he's a huge um He's World War Two buff. He's he? a World War Two, and so you've got yeah. stuff like Aces High and yes. all these, Blood and the, the Trooper. Yeah, um, yeah it's right, the Trooper. Yep, of course. Yeah, and like yeah, so he's. It, it's just like such you know this is very much like my parents in my mother's influence particularly. We've got a song that's got beautifully structured, beautifully performed, has heaps of story in it. Has what I love in all songs actually is I love a killer first line. One of my favourite bands is Garbage. And, okay, yep, I um, did know that actually. Yeah, and you can hear it in my music too. Yeah. And there are so many Garbage songs that have just killer first lines. Yeah, straight um, out the gate. Yeah, and that's like once again like working in journalism where you're supposed to tell the whole story in the first sentence. Yep. Um, but, yeah, and the night they drove old Dixie down starts with Virgil Kane is the name and I served on the Danville train. You're like, all right, cool. Yeah. Premises there. Let's yep. go. Yeah. I'm like, cool. Here's who you are. What's and then they are till Stoneman's cavalry came and tore up the tracks again. You're like, okay, all right, something's happening here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's why I chose that one. I think it's a mix of mum and dad um, cranking it all the time. And there's a huge, you know, it's a good example of the songs I grew up on, and also a good example of my mum explaining a song in great detail after it has been um, listened to. So just out of pure interest mm. on my behalf, yeah. how, do, how do you think or, you know, do you know how a Canadian band end up writing a song about the, like a southern soldier at the end of the Civil War? Like how does that all kind of it fall was into ba- place? It was really, I think, Robbie Robertson, you know, being Canadian, going, um, you know, why is everybody so obsessed with with the civil war in america being canadian um you know he's very much like this is why is everyone obsessed with it and then like any good storyteller um you know he he's gone well clearly there's stories here how can i tell a story of this one thing that happened in history um and like you know originally i think the album that it was on of course the main albums that my parents listened to were you know compilation albums and that's always what i think of um but i think originally um that whole that album that was on i think it was their self-titled album i think he wanted the whole thing to be a bit of a um like a concept album okay about like the civil war and like you know the south of america um and so then of course he you know had the idea and then um also like you know there's he's canadian but levon helm who's the drummer and sings the lead vocals on this song um he's from arkansas he's american so that's why he's got that really when you listen to his voice singing he's got that kind of southern twang to it so it was really like you know robbie robertson going you know 
I've got this idea. What do you reckon? And so Levon yeah. Helm worked with him and sort of he used his actual understanding of, of, of General Lee and all that kind of stuff to be a bit more accurate. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, so that's kind of where it came from. I think it was that classic thing where you go, oh, there's a story here. This could be a cool idea. Um, and I think like the weight, was that on the same album? Let's see. I'm just going to double check. No, the weight's not on that album because they, they kind of feel, you know, you know, a bit of a similar vibe. Yeah, very similar. Yeah. It's an interesting concept of a song to write because... I don't, I don't want this to come out mm. poorly, but like, yeah, you know, like in 1969, like when the album came out in 1969, mm. you know, and this has got, this is more of a conversational thing than anything to do with like Sophie Benjamin. Mm. But like in 1969, like you think, you know, the wind of, winds of change are kind of coming through and summer of love and da, 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 da. Yeah. And they're writing a song about like, you know, in essence, the enemy. Yeah, I kind like of wondered... the antithesis of what they're trying to do or be. I kind yeah. of wonder that too. Um, I always think about too, like that was all the Summer of Love, but they were also very good. You know, they were peers of people like Joni Mitchell, um, yeah. who, um, she like she's also on The Last Waltz and I adore her, mostly because she's such a badass and everyone thinks, oh, she's got such a pretty voice and writes such nice songs, but she's just like incredibly savage in her interviews and... yeah. You know, in her takes on things and the baby boomers and she thought like you know Woodstock was a bit um you know self-indulgent I suppose well she has that classic line where she says you're all acting like a bunch of tourists I'm yeah like, yeah that's right like you're right yeah you are. Uh, they yeah. are yeah absolutely um I think too like I wonder like it was roughly a hundred years since all the civil war had happened uh, when all right. that was got I think like really really roughly um I think, you know, and I also think, like, back then, um, yeah, the winds of change were happening and as much as there were winds of change, there's always going to be people who want to cling to the past and want to really see the romance in battle. Like, there seems yeah. to be a lot of people who've never had anything to do with war see a real romance in in conflict, in armed conflict, um, which, you know, a lot of people who have had direct exposure to it uh, don't have that feel at all. So I think when you get yeah, someone who's Canadian, someone who's Canadian who's like completely removed, and you top that up with someone who grew up in the South where it's quite romanticized, the whole Confederate thing, mm, you can kind yeah. of see where a bit of where the romance of it all might have, you know, come together to be like, let's write a song about this. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And like, we got so deep then. Well, I yeah. didn't get deep, but you got so deep. I'm I'm blown away. Like, you know, I'm. This is fantastic. Yeah. Cool. We can like edit out all the stuff about my uh, my dad's job and focus on about... Yeah, we can um, just, we can just about, dissect music. Yeah, we can just dissect music and uh, why uh, all the dudes in the band, you know, wanted Got to... Got ripped off and... I think Robbie Robertson... Robbie Robertson is... Um, I keep thinking of like Robbie Rotten, you know, that meme. Um I'll have to send it to you. There's this. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I don't know it's it. a ki- it's a kid. There was a kids show where they had the villain called Robbie Rotten. Um, okay. Anyway, Robbie Robertson is like known as a bit of an asshole, and I can't figure out if that's because he everyone liked the dudes in his band better than him, and they got a bit fucked over by him. 
Right, um, so they took their side. Yeah, they took his side. Um, they were like, oh, Robbie, you know, fucked you all over. And I think I think he was really instrumental in the last waltz where some of the other people, like, weren't super into it. Okay. Um, but and he's had the he's had the same wife since the 60s. Oh no, they're divorced now. Okay. That's kind of new. But yeah, there we go. There's my Robbie Robertson um you know dissection. And we can expect a um band slash Robbie Robertson uh podcast coming from you soon. Yes, exactly. Where you write down all the songs of the band. Yep. I have like to, it. Have to get my mum in on that so she can explain yeah. every single part of it. Yeah, she <laughs> that's unreal. Sick. <laughs> Okay, so let's get back on to, so again, Sophie Benjamin. Mm. Um, so I can imagine it would be a, a hell of a shock um, moving from, yeah, as you said, su- suburbia. Were you Brisbane, like Brisbane City, like inner oh, city? Oh, we were, we, were ci- we were inner city. We were in Red Hill, which is about wow. three k's out from the city. Mum and Dad bought a house that was barely habitable, frankly, um, when, you know, not around about the same time they got married um and we stayed around there like it was really like quite nice but it was in a suburban you know like um mum could drop dad off to work in the city and we could go for a swim at like the the fake beach at south bank you know in the middle of the city and then still drop me off to kinder you know in time for nine o'clock like everything was really really close there Yeah, yeah all there and like i had my grand like both sets of grandparents at that time yeah, so to go from that to a country town with um, no traffic lights and two sheds for an airport was a bit of a shock. Yeah. So yeah, that's so what so what were people like, you know, what was the music vibe out there? Was there much of a musical vibe? Like being well, a country town was country the big thing or Well, that's like, actually it is, you know, I would go, you know, to my own house and mum and dad would be listening to the band and Elton John and, you know, that sort of stuff. And then you go over to your my friends' parents' houses and they'd be listening to, like, Garth Brooks, uh, maybe Paul Kelly. Um, but Emerald didn't get FM radio until 1998 when I wow. was... Yeah, when I was about 10. So before that, it was just, like, AM, uh, you know, just, like, easy listening radio. Um, yeah, all yeah, talkback. Yeah, it still doesn't have Triple J, which is crazy. Um, what to this day doesn't have yep. triple J. Yep, doesn't have triple J. Um, Rocky does, and it's kind of a bit irrelevant now that they're streaming. But I remember uh, I ended up going to high school uh, in Rocky, and I'd come home uh, on the holidays, and there'd be like no, no triple J anymore. You'd get wow. maybe like a hundred Ks out of Rocky, and like it's gone. Um, and I'd always be trying to engineer to come back to school for the term early so I could go hang out with my friends who lived in Rocky and like listen to the hottest 100. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it kind of was held about a week before school went back. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you yeah. know, if it was happening, you know, a few days before I would be like trying to get mum and dad to drop me back. Like I got, I, I went to boarding school. It was a boarding school full of country kids. It wasn't religious. Um, it was, you know, very, a very chill, you know, environment. Yep. And I did a year of high school at home and it was a bit of a disaster. And I got, like, I think in theory banished, but I had a blast because, like, it was, <laughs> I can imagine. yeah, it was co ed. So, like, the school was co ed. Um, it was all, it wasn't full of snobby rich kids. Like, it was a lot of kids off cattle properties who'd yeah. done, you know, school of the air because, or they'd been to a primary school with like five other children from grade one to six. 
Um, and then lots of kids in Rocky, which just exposed me to more music and more different kinds of people. So, you know, mum and dad were like, oh, well, you know, if you're only three hours away, you can come home every weekend. Whereas the reality was after like the first couple of weeks, I was having to be dragged out of that place, kicking and screaming. Um, I, yeah. I, I loved it. But yeah, being a kid in Emerald, in terms of the music vibe, yeah, we had Easy Listening uh, and we had uh, One CD Shop, I okay. believe. Yep, One CD Shop. And um, was, it des- was it a dedicated CD shop or it was like a like a no, news it was a dedica- it was a dedica- It was a dedicated CD shop. Um, it That's would have cool. been like a leading edge or something like that. Um, I still remember it like really vividly because it was right next to my mum's hairdresser. Um, right which is, you know, mum's worst nightmare. And this is when, like, music was, like, you know, a, a real, like, luxury purchase in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. So what year are we talking now? Uh, like mid-90s, like 1996, yeah. 1998. Yeah, CDs were $30 eight yep. days a week. Yeah, yep. yeah absolutely. And um, so I was still obsessed with music. And the thing is, like, God bless Rage. God bless yeah. the ABC because even though... Yes. Um, you know, even though I didn't, you know, couldn't get commercial radio, all we had all the free-to-air TV channels, yeah. um, which is like that sounds like something to take for granted. But when we would drive, you know, into the middle of nowhere where my great-grandparents' farm was, like they only had Channel 7 and maybe Channel 9 or something. Um, Jesus. And I remember my great-granddad, my great granddad, who, you know, was a lovely man, um, made it to 100 and I remember saying, oh, what's your secret for old age? And he said, I'll oh, never drink more than two beers in one sitting and don't Fair. watch TV. And I remember, okay. I remember my sister clapping back being like, TV wasn't even invented when you were a kid, so you wouldn't have picked <laughs> up the habit. And he laughed and he said, no, that's true. Like he wouldn't have got colour TV till he was in his 50s or 60s. Which is wild. Yeah, yeah so he just was truth, not interested. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so but I remember the CD shop, and but even when we were back in Brisbane, um, I would get up, you know, when the sun rose, if not earlier, and yeah. watch Rage, um, yep. which was a bit, you know, not ideal because I would be maybe five years old watching the MA15 videos on Rage, you know. Oh, so this get, is this is like before the countdown stuff. You you tune yeah in before, before the that. countdown. I tune in before ah. that because I would get up super early, and my parents had taught me to like not wake them up before a certain time. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, so like imagine seven year old, oh even younger, like six year old me, watching like the video for Nine Inch Nails closer, and yep. um, yeah, and like Zombie by the Cranberries, and you know all that like full-on stuff um which is probably not great but I was just uh so obsessed with music and mum and dad were happy to just like what we don't know about we don't need to be plead ignorance to yeah 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 and so one video I remember just being uh totally just blown away by as like maybe a seven or eight year old uh was you know and you know this is the second segue into my next song Laid on me. um uh, it so it was the video for you ought to know by alanis morissette oh what a jam yeah and yeah. um in choosing aside from you know uh the band song before i was looking through my playlist being like this is really like some common themes of like intense emotions are happening here anyway yeah. but i remember 
seeing that film clip and she like had long greasy hair and was like thrashing around uh in the desert yep and yep. black and white Yep, or maybe it was even like sepia or something. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yep, and she was in like an oversized like linen suit and her backing band for the album, the Jagged Little Pill album, was, uh, well, not for the whole album, but for this song, um, were like Flea and Dave Navarro because yeah. Navarro was in the Chili Peppers at the time. At the time, and, yeah. Yeah, and Taylor Hawkins, who's... Which is know, amazing. Yeah. yeah, Foo Fighters drummer, so like Foo what, Fighters, a, yeah. what a team. And yeah. he, Taylor Hawkins is in the video too. They got two other random people to to, yeah, to mime right, okay. guitar and bass. But Taylor, you can see his hair and it like those like big white teeth that he has. He's in the video. Yeah, <laughs> the choppers, um, yeah. yeah. But I I remember um, yeah I remember like watching it as like a young girl being like I have never seen a woman so angry, like I've never seen like a woman so like full so of scorned. She yeah, was completely rage. scorned in that song, yeah. Yeah, rage and fury and being yeah. like, I just, and that's another one with a um, a killer opening, like, I just want you to, like, I want you to know I'm happy for you. I wish nothing for the, but the best for you both. Yeah. But the way that she says it, you're like, you don't mean that at yeah. all. Yeah, I don't believe, I don't completely believe you, yeah. It's not even <laughs> passive aggressive, it's just yeah. like aggression. So um, was the because that's got the um that drops an f bomb which yeah you know, I'm a bit older than you but I remember hearing that for the first time going oh like I thought this was meant to be a really big album like it was mm. but like and the big singles got swearing in it, and I thought that was kind of taken aback by that like was the film clip do you remember seeing the film clip with edit like with the swearing edit I, I think like I was just so like enraptured by the whole thing especially yeah. like people talk about the f bomb in it but there's that line it's like would she go down on you in a theater Yeah which um, is completely it's there like they just lay that out Yeah, yeah it's like they bleep out the f bomb but they leave that yeah. there which is like more full on Anyway so um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unsurprisingly I desperately wanted that album and my mother would not buy it for me because yeah. I was an 8 year old girl Neither none of my um, aunts would buy it for me, um, so I had to like wait till I was a teenager to like get it for myself. But did they hear it? No, or what was their what was oh, their they pushback knew, to it? Because that song was yeah, so, right. That song was it was huge. everywhere, huge. Yeah. Um, and they they would have, and also they had the big uh, language the the course oh, language. Oh, the tipper sticker on it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So even if they didn't know, they'd be like, "This is I'm not buying this for a child. Like this has yep. swearing in it." Um, but like, luckily, um, now this is like, makes me feel prehistoric, like taping stuff off the radio. So when, oh, F- yeah, it's, tr- it's an honored tradition. Yeah, exactly. So mum taught me that. So thanks mum for, you know, teaching me baby steps into piracy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as soon as we got commercial radio in like 1998, it was only a matter of time, um, before, you know, I was able to tape that. And I remember listening to the hot 40 or whatever, um, take 40 or something. Yeah, Take 40 um, Australia, yep, yep. Yeah, I remember listening to that and, like, taping Chili Peppers songs and, you know, all, you know, other bits and pieces. But, yeah, so my next sort of independent music taste, I mean, there's, you know, other music I listened to that mum and dad were more, but they were very permissive. I think, I think it was they weren't being prudes by not wanting to buy their eight-year-old daughter oh, a song with, with, with an F-bomb and, like, yeah. oral sex references in there. I think yeah. that's probably pretty fair. Um, 
but I think it was quite instrumental because I just, just like if I have to think of a moment in my life where I thought yeah I'd like to be in a band that would be really cool that would be cool to like sing in a band uh, and a rock band that's sort of where it all kind of came from I want you to know
shit like, I mean, what a song. And I got to say, when I saw Beyonce like 10 years ago, when she was like at the peak of her single ladies fame, uh, she was middle of her show singing some other song and then pivoted into You Ought to Know. And she did this incredible, like Beyonce That's did unreal. this incredible cover of this song. It was so good. Yeah. So what other good. songs were on this? What other? So uh, You Live, You Learn. That's hand right. in that my was, one hand in my pocket. Ah, hand in my pocket was the other big yeah. single. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you should have lived with that one. I know. And, and they may have let it, like you know. Got I know, I know. They may have they may have let it pass the keeper, but unfortunately, I I went too hard. I went too yeah. intense, too early. You leaned in too much. Yeah, fair enough. So, how how old were you? You went to Rockhampton. You went to the the school at Rockhampton. Second year of high, high school. school yeah? Second year of high school. So I did my first year. All the grades are sort of changed now because they've changed the schooling okay. system in Queensland. But uh, second year of high school, and that was actually just saved my life. I would be dead or have like way too many teenage pregnancy children, or you know, yeah. if I'd stayed in Emerald. Like I was just a kid that needed a different kind of peer group. I think. Do you, um, do you think it was do you, like this is? Oh yeah, this is mm. hindsight looking back, but like. Mm. Is it because you grew up in Brisbane and you saw a different life or do you think, I think you could have been grew- born there and the same thing would have happened? It's hard to say but because yeah. my brother and sister both went to um, the same boarding school and yep. my sister actually really struggled at that school, not because she was homesick but for sort of different reasons. And by the time she was at boarding school, I was actually back living in Rocky and she spent a lot of time not at the dorm and like hanging out at my house. But I ah, think... Right. I think it's so I you, think it's, you graduated but then stayed there. Um, well, I graduated and then went away to uni and then went away and did heaps of other stuff. And then, as it happened, ended got a job back in Rocky when my sister was about 15 okay. and my brother was about 16. And I've oh, been in my yeah, early 20s. Six and eight years difference, yeah. Yeah, because they're so much younger than me. Um, but I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's uh, not that I'd seen a different life in Brisbane, it's because I'd been raised like the, you know, slightly weird coddled eldest only child of two you know very educated in a Brisbane kind of people um and you know I was that just kind of kept you wanting more and yeah wanting more and just being a little bit a little bit too weird for Emerald is kind of like I, I I wasn't you know I always had friends and you know I was like school captain in my primary school and in fact the problem is I had too many friends which was like getting in the way of me paying any attention to high school or my parents or anything um so I wasn't like you know a loner with like no mates but um it was just like a bigger like I guess once I moved to Rocky um yeah I was really good mates with the people who I um who were the boarders because you you know we all lived at the school and because it was co-ed the boys and the girls lived in different buildings but we did everything else together and um but I made really close friends with heaps of the kids who lived in Rocky and um, that was really good because um, it meant that around about the same time Lee Kernigan bought a pub in Rocky and turned it, I know this has taken a turn, bought a pub in Rocky with a rodeo arena attached. Was Um, he, sorry, before you go on, was he Lee Kernigan like the Lee Kernigan? Yeah, he was the Lee Kernigan. So before I go on, before we go on, sorry. Lee Koenigan, for anyone not living in Australia, he is top three biggest country artists Australia's ever had. Would you agree? Yep. Yep. Like without a doubt. Slim Dusty. John uh, Williamson. John Williamson. Yeah. Casey Chambers, Lee Koenigan, you know, 
they're like, the Mount, uh, they're the uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, like Australian when you talk about apps. like what was the music happening at Emerald, everyone's parents listened to Lee Kernigan. Yeah, he, right. He wears like a big, uh, big black hat, and he sings songs yep. with titles like "The Outback Club." Um, oh, that's the yep. What yep. other songs have you got? Uh, there's something about the boys. There always is. Oh. There always is. The boys. Uh, oh, with memory. Of the, oh, we're the boys from the bush, and we're back and we're in back town. Into, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. The Outback Club, uh, Hat Town. This is really just like giving you it's like even his album titles you're really like getting of some vibes here spirit Just of the corny. spirit of the bush spirit of the anzacs driving home for christmas i mean that is was basically the, my childhood so you know yeah right <laughs> can't really was that a christmas album no uh, well he has one called the christmas album oh okay right so he, you know there you go right uh, he's got <laughs> other ones other ones called other songs called tough job uh, save the land. She's my ute. She's my ute. A, yeah, he's got it going on. Yeah, so you know you're really like getting getting the vibe here. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he, he knows bought, his audience. He knows his only, audience. Yeah. So not only did he buy a pub in Rockhampton, which for anyone not up on such matters, Rockhampton is the beef capital of Australia. Um, is it? There you it go. is. Um, it is huge. It's the biggest like beef exporter. Just because there's a lot of cattle farming all around, and Rocky is kind of the place where it all. And they, every three years, they call they have this big thing called Beef Australia. Back in the '90s, it was called Beef 2000. Um, okay, <laughs> until they and became it's like, outdated. I tell people it's like South by Southwest for the cattle industry, and everyone's like, wow. oh, oh, oh. and I'm like, yeah, but think about how many people in the world eat beef. So you get all these like beef farmers and cowboys from South America. Um, Anyway, but oh, it's so like, it's an international thing. Yeah, it's, it's international. Not, yeah, that's why. Jesus. Like, yeah, so like basically, all the hotels in Rocky are are booked out a year in advance. People have to be billeted uh, with local Rockhampton families. Yeah. Um, they would have the beef expo like more often, but the the city just can't handle it. Forex um, bitter. Uh, for, uh, so the Forex Brewery in Brisbane, they do a special release of Forex Gold for the beef expo. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. That's fantastic. So when people look like, what, where, how, where did you grow up? I'm like, well, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me tell you the, the big things we did. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, Lee Kernigan bought this pub and not only did he buy a pub, but he bought a pub with a rodeo arena attached. Cool. Um, and anyway, so then it became like a real spot on the map for, for bands to tour there. And this is, of course, back when people still bought CDs and record labels could... Um, Tour support and whatnot. Yep. Also worth mentioning for anyone who's not Australian, he won Australian of the Year in 2008. Um, Which is, yeah, I, that's why. Yep, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but in buying this pub, um, all these bands started coming to Rocky and because I'd made friends with kids who lived in Rocky, um, I would, yeah, I'd be able to like go, and this is like once again because my parents are such huge music lovers, they would have no problems signing off for me to go on a school night to go and see bands like Grinspoon and the Super Jesus and something like wow. that. And they were all age they were all age yep. you were It was licensed all ages. Wow, so that's I, pretty cool. Yeah, and so I remember going with my friends and we were just like little fifteen year olds. Um just like right up on the barrier. Um just like stoked to be there. We were like not even interested in bumming you know, trying to get adults to buy us booze. We were we were very interested in booze, but you know, we picked our moments. Yeah. Um 
Yeah, and I remember um, going to see John Butler Trio, and this is back like when Zebra was the number one song. Yep, and yep. they had a support act who was this uh, 21-year-old girl called Missy Higgins. Oh, and look out. Yeah, and I didn't, I hadn't heard any of her songs, but my friends who listened to uh, Triple J lots did. And it was just her and a guitar um, and like a piano, like a keyboard. And yep. she was incredible. She had like a four-song EP out. This is before Scar. Scar yeah. launched maybe two weeks later. I remember her saying, how do you own the mic? Because like, my friends were yelling out song requests and she's like, how do you know the songs? And, you know, they were like, oh, Triple J. And she she was incredible. And I've seen her play like probably about five times since and I don't think yeah. I've seen her that good um, okay. since that. It was just her and a, you know, guitar and a keyboard and she was fantastic. So, yeah. What, I does, was, she, what does she do now? Like, does she bring a band with her? Yeah, she's got a big band and backup singers okay. and it's, she's a bit more reserved. She just had amazing energy about her. Um, yeah. yeah, and back then she had like a little four-track EP and clearly The Sound of White was, um, you know, recorded and everything. And then Scar blew up a couple of weeks later and the rest is history. Um, Massive song. Yeah. Massive song. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so I got to see a lot of music thanks to, in, you know, directly, indirectly, sorry, to Lee Kernigan. Lee Kernigan, yeah. Yeah, so the other good thing, as you would know, sort of being from the sunny coast is – that no one loves aggressive guitar music like regional Australia. Oh, do um, they? Do they what? Uh, yeah. So I, in my sort of, I was thinking about all my teen rebellion years and to keep in the same theme, I'd be thinking music that mum and dad would not allow to be put on rotation in the in the car on the road on trips. On the car trips, yeah. yeah. And what I was like super into and I'm, one of the bands that I was super, super into was Incubus. Okay, and um, it was a combo, and that's sort of where my love of stupid guitar pedals began. <laughs> yes. um, thanks to Mike Einziger. I remember me and my best friend skipping class to watch the Morning View Sessions DVD uh, in my dorm room. And um, I think I had like a gigantic poster of Brandon Boyd on my wall. Um, I feel like before you go on, I feel like mm. skipping class at a um, boarding school would be that much harder yes it really is uh, like how how do you like without going into too much mm. detail how do you pull it off um what you do and this is the advice i gave to my siblings Good. um yep. was Share like with them yep was what you need to do is you need to get a reputation as a good kid so that the teachers and like dorm supervisors aren't on the lookout for you playing up because Say if you're in a family, like in my family, three kids, two parents, you go from that to uh, you've got 50 kids per floor in the girls' dorm. The boys' dorm was structured a bit differently. But in girls' dorm, it's 50 girls per floor and maybe like one supervisor. And so like the supervision ratio is very low. So you just have to stay under the radar. And my brother took that advice and was very successful and my sister did not and she had a much more difficult time. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, But, yeah, so really uh, we just like skipped class and my friend who I would skip class with, um, she was a day kid. Um, So she lived in Rocky. And so really what it would be is we'd just have to sneak past the office and then – I think in, I would have been like maybe grade nine or grade 10 at this point. And um, at this, 
the way that our dorms were set up is it was four to a room, but the walls didn't go to the ceiling because it's all meant to be open plan. Yeah. No air conditioning, which was it sucked. Brutal. Oh. And there was aircon by the time my sister went through, but when I was there, there was no aircon. And then in year eleven, you got two to a room, and you had a lockable door and walls that went to the ceiling, so that's a treat. Yeah. And yeah. um, and year twelve, you got your own room, which was like a reward for sticking out all the you know communal life Living. stuff. Yeah. But you just Jesus. have to be clever to like to to and not do it in classes where. See, if you skipped class where you were struggling, so say there are a couple of subjects that I was shit at, like I would never skip maths class, for example, because I've always struggled. And so the teachers would always be on the lookout for me because I'd be struggling. And you never do it in a class where you're excellent at it. I mean, hopefully you want to turn up to those classes anyway. Because Um, you enjoy them, yeah. Yeah, because you enjoy them. So you always skip a class where you're just like a bit like flying under the radar. So shoot Um, for the middle. Yeah, and so then they won't notice you're gone. Like it's basically just be inconspicuous. That's how you do it. That's fantastic. So anyone who's, you know, if anyone's listening from a boarding home in boarding school in, you know, regional Australia. Regional Australia, but anywhere. Yeah, Yeah, but anywhere. Yeah, that's how to do it. Yep. Sick. So you're sneaking and watching Incubus DVDs. Yep. Um, And I spent a lot of time listening on my Discman to the Morning View. I mean, all the Incubus albums, but um, particularly Morning View by Incubus. And this is just like to show how much the world's changed. I remember because Drive was huge. I remember knowing that song and liking that song and then hearing, um, you know, this Incubus album playing at the Rockhampton Target, which I don't even know how that would be allowed now. I'm sure there's like Target Radio or something they have to play. Yeah, um, but or I just know music because they're tight and they don't want to pay royalties. Yeah, but they don't want to pay the licensing. Yeah, um, licensing. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I yeah, this is another one where I'd like you know you buy a CD and you like pour over the album artwork and and the disc and this is you know people even then this is maybe like two thousands people going why are you buying CDs and you can just download it for free, um, which is a fair question. Uh, but yeah, I. But you was, wouldn't have the the um, internet wouldn't have been fantastic for that kind of like for where we where you were. Uh, it was shit in Emerald. Yeah. Um, and in Rocky, oh. it was better. Um, okay. But I, when I was in year eleven, year eleven, my friends, my best friend's older brother managed to get some sort of ADSL cable thing. This would have been like two thousand and four, and then yeah. he was the first person I know who used BitTorrent rather than LimeWire or Kazaa yeah. or something like that. And then he was yeah. able to download. He's like, you know, who what got me into Thursday and at the drive-in because he would just download everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but prior to that, um, and people would download stuff um, on the network at school as well. Um, but if you could like make friends with a kid in Rocky whose parents like coughed up for a decent internet connection, um, yeah, that was you a, could, yeah, that was a source. Yeah, that was a, oh, that was an extreme source. But it still wasn't that great. Like in the boys' dorm, there was uh, porn going around, but it would be burnt to CDs or burnt to DVDs. Like you still yeah, couldn't okay. be. I remember someone being like, "Oh, this new guy's just like started. You know, he's just moved here from wherever, and he's got a gigabyte of porn on his computer, like a Jesus. gigabyte." Yeah. And I was like, "Damn, a gigabyte! It's a lot of porn." It's um, a lot of porn. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And now you're looking like, wow, we had had no idea. Um, but yeah, this Incubus album, I also like my friend's parent, well, grandparents maybe, uh, bought him the official tab book. 
uh, for Morning cool. View. And I remember like going home, like borrowing it for a weekend where I had to go home and like photocopying the entire thing, like a million pages on dad's work photocopier and him getting mad about it. Um, but I've definitely ripped off the sort of meter and timing of an intro of uh the, the particular Incubus song I've chosen, which is Nice to Know You. Um, nice to Know You. I think, yeah. I, I think I know that song. My Incubus, yeah, my, I'd never kind of crossed paths with that band. Yeah. It, it's, it's They'd got all the funk stuff like out of their system for this particular song. And this was the last album they did with their original bassist, um, who now like writes music for video games, I think. But... They was he integral? Was he an integral songwriter? He was. Um, right. And he had sort of the funkiness, and then they turfed him, and then got a new bass player around 2004. And I got to say, like Incubus is still going today, and it's very different to like the music they make now. Super, super different to the stuff they used to. I almost feel they need a new name. Um, what, even though what, is it is it due to lineup changes or um, no? They've just... only just had that one lineup change. Everyone else right. is all the same, and they've been a band since. There's actually on YouTube videos of them as 17-year-olds doing Chili Peppers covers in a backyard. Um, wow. Yeah, which is pretty crazy. Um, but, yeah, they uh, then they sort of turned a bit of a corner, but I still love, like, the main riff of this song.
I've got two things I want to ask. Mm. Um, you mentioned at the drive-in. Yeah. Like, you know, you mentioned a few other bands before, but like obviously you mentioned at the drive-in. Not Without being a big Incubus head, like, again, I'd probably heard that song before because some really good friends really liked the mm. band. Um, it's not a stretch. Looking back at it, prob- like, looking back, it's not like maybe at the time it would have been like, polar opposite or not mm. polar opposite but like two different planets but like looking back at that uh, that opening riff it's not too far you know change the guitar sound change the the singer it's it's not it's you know it's kissing cousins with uh, yeah. at the drive-in like yeah. did you was that like i mean is that a common thing like do people think that or is it like no not at all i don't think and i think that's because people see you know handsome lead singer um and they yeah, see and I, I think, very polished production a very polished very mainstream modern rock radio whereas yeah. at the driving was so against all of that it's the marketing is quite different yeah. um like yeah that that's really what um what the difference is between the two and like the whole idea of what's actually like was really cool what was actually quite uncool in a lot of ways about being in Rockhampton and ha- being exposed to music through my friend's older brother and Channel V and a few other things, I was exposed to music without any idea of subculture, you know. Uh, so I was exposed yeah. to, like, at the drive-in and Thursday without knowing what emo was. Yeah. Um, and, my ke- like, when I was finishing high school, my chemical romance and all that kind of emo was just starting up. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was made aware of all that music without knowing anything about, like, you know, the old older style emo or even about like the whole eyeliner and swoopy fringes. Like all I knew was the music regardless and yeah. without any of that context or subculture around it. Like I didn't know anything about At The Drive-In other than that like wild Channel V set um, that they did at the Big Day Out. Have you noticed on that set that they play on a wiggle stage? Yep, yep. That's pretty wild, yeah. The whole thing, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, like when I started discovering a bit more of that, then that kind of changed my, you know, taste and way of thinking of things, which sort of segs into my next uh, song and one of my favourite topics to talk about. Before you Uh, go on, no, you you just dropped that you play guitar. Like, how did that all start up and happen and that kind of thing? Well, this all ties into the boarding school as well because I definitely, I desperately wanted to learn to play guitar, you know, since I was a little girl and... My dad was very insistent, well, both my parents really, that I played piano first and piano is just not my instrument. Yeah. Um, you know, I, if I can play looking it now. Back, do you under, do you, looking back, can you see why? Uh, yeah, really? I, I just wasn't yeah. drawn to it, whereas I've always no, that's, just been... Oh, absolutely not, yeah. Oh, in I, terms I of in musical education, um, I can totally see why. And I played clarinet in, um, in primary school. And was that like necessity or you wanted to? A bit of both, really. Like okay. like I said, my parents, like musical education was important and we all played musical instruments. My brother and sister, you know, both can play musical instruments. Um, I'm just the one who got obsessed with it. And um, I sort of ended up playing when I was in primary school clarinet in the high school band because I was, I was that good. Um, <laughs> but, but seriously, though... Um, and then I desperately wanted to play guitar and I don't know why they were so against it. I remember dad being like, oh, you just, you know, want to do it because it's cooler than piano. And I'm like, yeah, obviously. Um, and then anyway, then when the decision came where they were like, right, we're going to send 
uh, Sophie to boarding school. Mum was all for it because she went to boarding school. Dad was horrified by the whole concept of sending your kid away. Um, whereas I was like, oh, fuck you, you guys. I'm, I'm out of here anyway. Hate I'm everyone. Cause I was, yeah, because yeah, I was 13. Um, anyway, but I was like, I'll only go to boarding school if I can like learn how to play guitar. And they're like, all right, cool, fine. Age compromise. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, then I was able to get guitar lessons when I moved to Rocky and um, actually, like, you, this will shock anyone who knows me now, but I was um, – I used to be incredibly shy and incredibly quiet. Um, clearly something has broken in me since <laughs> because that's not how I am now. No, I think it is I actually got self-esteem and part of how I did that was, you know, when I started off – um, yeah, I would spend a lot of time in the music rooms, like learning how to play guitar and practicing and singing and playing guitar. And someone overheard me and then dragged me back up to the dorm and then made me sing and play for everyone. And that was my icebreaker to making friends. Wow. Um, what was the yeah. song? Uh, I, it was probably something like Michelle Branch or Alanis Morissette, actually, now that okay. I come to think of it. But because I was just obsessed with it, I was obsessed with hearing like, oh, how can I play this song or how can I work this song out? Um, and I had, my first teacher was this dude who taught through the school and he was this like Led Zeppelin boomer burnout. He yeah. sucked. Um, but then I went to another teacher and he was, uh, a very nerdy Christian dude who was obsessed with Joe Satriani and, okay. um, he was great. And so I was always really torn between solo acoustic stuff, which I'm very good at doing, but I'm not that interested in. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not creatively fulfilled by it and uh, like loud rock music guitar with heaps of effects. But I'm glad that you pulled me back to this because um, if I hadn't learned how to play guitar, it's actually been a huge part of how I've made friends, either yeah. directly or indirectly since then. Yeah, I completely, I completely understand that. Mm. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I think I've, I've probably maintained more friends from music mm. than I have in any other kind of aspect of my life. Like yeah. bar the bar the six six of my best friends that I went to high school with. Like, yeah. Everyone else I know is basically through through music. I think what it really does, and I've been thinking a lot because I know that you, you know, lost a, a, a good friend, sadly, yeah. um, last yep. year. And the Brisbane scene was, you know, sadly really shattered by um, the wonderful Shane's Shane. Passing as well. Yeah, by Shane's yeah. passing. And, you know, I think about, I've, I've heard lots of other stories about guys, you know, the age of your mate Ricky and a Shane. And, yep. you know, what, you know, there's lots of contributing factors and you can never really know. And it's not fair to say, but I wonder a lot about, you know, back when we were younger and back when you were more, when everyone was more involved in bands and the hardcore scene and everyone, there was this real community yeah. um, and this real, commu not only real community, but a real communal activity. You know, you'd all rock up. Some people would be playing, some people would be in the crowd um, mm. and then you'd all turn up and then you'd all leave. And then as life changes, you know, people marry and have kids and, yeah, you know, you get all kind of... Um, you know, like your, your life, everyone's lives just turn in different directions and there's not that coming together. And I feel, you know, particularly with men, I mean, you know, as much as, you know, a woman speaking about a man is not that welcome, but I kind of feel like with men, it, it's almost like a big part that people miss, they, that oh, they find missing in their lives. Yeah. And so, like, you know, well, it, it's so many, 
so many men try to hold on to because like you know without getting too deep like for me playing in bands was some of the funnest times mm. I could possibly have ever possibly have had and it's almost like to use a really dumb analogy it's almost like that heroin chasing the mm. um the, is it what do you chase when you're on heroin What's your brain produce heaps of that oh, you just kind of dopamine? I think yeah, those I dopamine dopa- hits. Yeah, yeah, whatever that, whatever the chemical is that your brain produces that you just kind of keep trying to want to go back to, and then as you get older and you you have kids or you mm. have a relationship or you work a job that doesn't allow you to just take, fuck off and do whatever. Yeah, just fuck off and tour to Melbourne for mm. like an extended long weekend or whatever, and you're always looking at going. I know I had so much fun doing that and now I can't do that anymore. What is my And all life I have now? is responsibility and drudgery and yeah. obligations I have to fulfill. And bills and yeah, the whole the whole nine, yeah. I look at my dad, so when like as I've said, you know, he worked for like one of the big four corporate accounting firms and we moved to Emerald. But anyway, he, he, he loved his dad and he had a good relationship with his dad. Um, but his dad was a bit erratic um in his parenting and everything and um, you know, he didn't have a lot of, you know, family man kind of role models, I don't think. Like, and I don't want to, you know, talk shit about my granddad or anything, but, you know, I think dad kind of like floated around a bit as to what sort of, you know, husband and father and man he wanted to be till we moved to Emerald um, and he had to step up. But also he joined Rotary because, you know, you move to a small small town, you don't know anyone, you need to get involved in the community and that's just what you do. And he made all of his best mates through Rotary and made, you know, so many friends that set him up for life. And it also gave him an excuse to socialise and do something that felt like it mattered. You know, like every Thursday night he'd have his Rotary meeting and he'd be, you know, when he joined, he would have been like 33. And there were guys his own age with young kids. There were guys older, guys Mm. who were like shuffling towards the grave. Um, And, you know, now he's one of the older, well, he's not the oldest there, but he's, you know, pushing pushing older um but I just look at like dad all his mates that he made through Rotary and the structure that it gave his life and that he still does now with community fundraising things and other things that he's been involved in and I feel like he was at an age when we moved where he could have been really aimless and really struggling with like shit I've got this oppressive job and I've got a kid starting school and another kid on the way to make a big life change and to find a way to like hang out with other men um, was a like a really good and positive thing for him. Thank God. Yeah, it's definitely. Oh, yeah. I've never thought. I've always looked at like I've never thought about rotaries like mm. that. But especially because he was never going to join a church. Like both mum yeah. and dad came from quite religious families, and as a result, they're like not interested. They shunned it. Oh, totally shunned it. And yeah. um, I mean, but you know, dad still wanted to do good in the world, but he did not want to do that through a church. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, wow, I don't even know how we got there. But um, you, uh, friends, sorry, so you, making friends through music. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, and you, your your shell was cracked wide open with that with performance. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I still don't love performing, which is why I, um, you know, when Ben and I started doing Spokesmodel about eight, eighteen months ago. Yep. We were both, and he drummed on recordings of like my previous like pop rock band. And okay. we'd met sort of through the Brisbane scene. And we were both like, what, what itches are currently not being scratched by the other music we're making? 
and also what are the things we really like about music and for me um you know it's hearing those final mixes back it's like I've always been more interested in writing and producing um than performing like the performing that's that's cool yeah the f- performing is fun and all, but if you said you have to pick one, I'd be like, great, would happy, yep. happily Send never me to perform. The studio. Yep, yeah. would happily never perform live or do a show ever again. Um, and it's funny because I, for a, oh, a, a one year and one semester, I actually studied music production at uni at QUT in Brisbane. It was an uh, audition entry uh, program. And I went into the production stream rather than the performance stream. And I was one of three girls in a class of like 40. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was very, whereas the performance stream was not like that at all. It would um, you imagine it would have been 50-50 or close, close yeah. to? Yeah, and I think um, even though I am quite chatty, I think it's, I am an introvert and I think it's because I go so hard when I'm yeah. interacting with people. So performance just really emotionally takes it out of me. But I like writing. And for me, like even just like band practice, like that to me is not so much performing. Um, like that's more writing for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's how I've made friends. Like music is how I have made friends basically since I was 14, um, whether directly by playing in bands with people or, you know, just through being you know, a fan of music. Yeah. Um, all, you know. all the communal aspect of going to shows. And yeah, that, that whole, yeah. yeah, from Rockhampton to, to, to everywhere. And even when I moved to Melbourne, that was like how I started making friends as well. Um, yeah. And a lot of my friends who were ex-Brisbane who had since moved to Melbourne when I moved down are all black music people. Like I remember when I first moved, I stayed on the floor of um, – Dan Stork who is the sound guy for Clowns and has been their sound guy um for years yeah um and I remember meeting him for the first time back when he was working at he was the house guy at Rosie's and used to sort of do sound for Amity back in the day so you know like all these things all these things kind of like roll back when Amity still used to play live you don't have to edit that out. I will stand by it. They mime, <laughs> they mime to their to tracks uh, these days. Yep. Uh, I feel really sorry for them. It would be shit to be pushing forty and be on the other side of the world from your kids and have yeah. to be doing karaoke to your own songs. That fucking sucks. Um, It'd be hard. Yeah. Well, you don't even get the catharsis of performance. Yeah, because it's yeah, yeah, it's. Not pantomime's not the word, but it's it's. Yeah, so it's um, one of my favourite topics to speak about, and also this next song is Parkway Drive, um, and it is really funny because when I moved to Melbourne, I started playing in this scene of people for the first time in my life. Where if I would play like the intro riff to Wild Eyes or like the or like one of their older things, like you know the Carrion intro, yep. they wouldn't know what I was playing. And you realise that Parkway was such a thing for regional kids because they would, if there was a town with a PCYC, Parkway yeah. would be there. Parkway would front up. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I they blew my mind like sonically because I just I don't think at that point I think the heaviest music I'd heard was System of a Down and they're kind of a bit all over the place. Um, but Parkway, was yeah, just System like of a Down's like like I love a mm. lot of their, well, yeah, yeah. I love some of their stuff. But it's like 
clown music, like circus yeah. music with distortion yeah. pedals. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to hear Parkway, which was just like so pummeling, um, like those earlier albums, um, it just completely blew my mind. And more than that, um, what blew my mind is the fact that they didn't even have a scene. They just started off making a band for something to do and yeah. then just like kept doing it. Yeah. Um, and so they'd built this like just community around them. And yeah, I know they were influenced by, you know, Graham from Resist bringing people up and like, yep. you know, and they've documented everything. And like, I think that Parkway documentary is a must watch for oh. any young person wanting to start a band. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Particularly since it's been like 10 years since they put it out and so much has changed for them uh, in in that time. You see just the completely insane crowds they're playing to in Europe. Um, still to this day, yeah, they're still, they're still a, like a headlining band. And a great live act. And I've, I saw them tw- oh, three times last year. Yeah, right. Year. It was a good year. And um, <laughs> they still look like they're having fun on, on stage. They still – now they've got like pyro and string quartets and pro lighting rigs, but they still all look like they're having fun. Yeah. And they're all, but, th- but they're yeah. all still like um, – they all still look like they walk off stage and you could approach – they're all approachable yeah. would be the best way to put it. You know, yeah. they're all – and that's like for it's for an internet for a, literally an international band, uh, maybe you know a lot of bands don't have that thing about them. What like I think they, is yeah, what I think is cool now is they have the real rock star thing on stage, but off stage, absolutely not. Yeah, that's they just drop it. Yeah, that's what's really changed. I think in the last few years they used to just be like dudes in boardies on stage, dudes in boardies off stage, whereas they've stepped it up a little bit, which like. May as well. Like, why would you? Wouldn't you? Don't want to be doing the same thing forever if you're not interested in it anymore. Um, but yeah, p- discovering Parkway kind of cracked my brain open because it also got me more into punk and metal, which I wasn't that into in high school. Um, like, not you know, hardcore and emo and all that kind of thing. And um, I'd started to make lots of friends in Brisbane who and Ben. This is oh, this would have been that long ago when I first met Ben too, when he was playing in some band whose name I've forgotten. Um, yeah, so Parkway was kind of the gateway to all these independent scenes, and why I think Parkway is so important is they really inspired a lot of people to make something happen in their own shitty regional towns, basically. Right. 
you know, Graham from Resist Records, which is the label that they're obviously on now mm. in Australia and da-da-da-da-da, like, he would book tours that would go through Byron literally because those guys were, like, thirsty for it. You know, yeah. Or that they created this whole thing. It's fucking wild because... You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of towns between the Gold Coast and Newcastle. Yep. And there's you know, and there's a lot of towns between obviously Canberra and Melbourne, but they wouldn't stop there. Yep. Bands wouldn't stop there, but bands would stop in Byron. This yeah. weird little country town by the beach, like I shouldn't yep. say weird, but like beautiful little country town by the beach that these that would pull kids, hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids yeah. to shows, and Parkway were. At the genesis of that. And yeah. yeah. So, and even when yeah. I was still in Brisbane, like when I first moved to Brisbane, that was still like the case in like 2006, 2007, like really up until the deep blue era parkway. Um, and then the scene kind of started to drop off a bit. Um, but I find they're a huge influence to me in terms of the level of creative control that that band has over what they do and, you know, the way that they divvy up all their roles like like Jeff does all the basically Jeff and Winston and and Gaz do all the writing but then Winston also does all the lyrics all the artwork all the visuals you know he's in charge of pulling that all together um you know you've got the other guitarist who's co-managing with Graham like this is a band where like all of them play their part and all of them really have a vision that they're all committed to yeah, and I think I think I mean I'm sure they would have got there by themselves, but I think there's a couple like um, a band like Converge who they don't really obviously they don't sound like, but they kind of fall under mm. the same umbrella, have that same kind of um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like uh, I can't think of what the word is, but that's how they attack it. Like this guy does that; that's his role as well as vocals, and this guy yep. does this, and that's his role. You know. Yeah, they like which is a fantastic. There's way none to do of it, it like oh we all just do, the, but it's all like people doing what they're they're best at. Um, and it, it's, it, yeah, like Converge is another great example where it's not like, oh, well, I just play guitar and okay, cool. So now we've got to hire a bonus manager. Now we've got to hire some other dude to do something and else. And we have to outsource everything, yeah. And I find it um, staggering because I like, you know, a fangirl highlight of mine was that I got to interview Winston last year um, as part of the promo for the album uh, Reverence, which um, I loved it's my favorite one after horizons um and so he was talking about all of that and how they like all write it and you know the thing is I didn't realize they still book everything themselves except for Europe because they can't speak German and all that other stuff um but they do all their Aussie booking they still do that themselves most of their US they do themselves um their sound guy does their visas. Like it's very, they run a very tight in-house ship. Which comes back to the creative control thing where they aren't going to get dictated to by someone else holding, like, you know, holding the checkbook, if that makes sense. And I think that's what happens when you're a band like theirs where they literally had to like create a venue and create, you know, something out of nothing. So when someone's like, oh, sorry, you can't play our venue in Melbourne, they're like, okay, cool, we'll just go do show yeah. somewhere else we'll um, find a age venue yeah and go yeah, from there and just do it there like that's what is so um inspiring about them and the fact that they are all still good mates after all this time after all like think about just how much touring they've done and particularly yeah. 
you know, in that Killing with a Smile era where they were like overseas for like six months at a time. Yeah. Um, living, out of, living out of each other's pockets. Pockets before Skype was a thing. Um, you know, and you never hear anyone speak badly about those dudes and I think that's really telling, um, you know, because there's a lot of their other compatriots. You know, there's – I, I – there's no like underage sex scandals coming out about Parkway in the Me Too era, you know, like there's just none of that. And I feel that's the whole small town thing too. Cause you can't get away with that bullshit in a small town because someone will, someone will hold you to account for it. Because so, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're two degrees the most away from everybody. Yeah, exactly. So I love yeah. old Parkway with stupid big breakdowns. I love yep. new Parkway, which is Euro metal mixed with a bit of rage against the machine. So like not to sound like an old head because I'm sure as fuck not, but I I remember when that album came out, and a bunch of like a bunch of guys who were playing, um, who were playing like you know who were no longer playing shows with them because they mm. were really big, but um you know knew them all really well because we we had played shows with them yeah. prior, and like you know when I was in Taking Sides or Jungle Fever, we, were, mm. we all just sat back and went, how amazing is Parkway Drive that in an era where bands are adding a pop element like not yep. pop element but a melodic element yeah to capture market they're like Parkway, we're doubling down they literally doubled down and we're all just sitting around going this is fucking incredible like just absolutely incredible like that they've just really pushed back on on that and that like to me mm. to me that was a huge thing with parkway drive like Ne- I never really got into metal and metalcore and that kind of thing, but Parkway were like, I guess I don't know, like they were. I, I, I'm going to say they were ours, but like they were everyone's. Yeah. But we were like, th- this is our team, and they're you know they're flying the flag for Australia and da 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 da. But yeah, just the the absolute love of like, no no, they're they're so doing what they want to do to the fact that like and and they're killing it as well. But yeah, they they're not bending twenty one and they're not succumbing to oh, man, we should write a pop song or pop yeah. melodies or get da-da-da. And it was just like, fuck yes, like do it. Like, And it was just so empowering kind of thing to to make – I feel like a lot of bands go, oh, no, 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 we don't have to do it because that's popular. We just keep doing what we want to do and writing what works for us. Even though we may not have sounded anything like Parkway Drive, it was like, it was like yeah, someone kind of going, no, no, it's cool. Do what you got to – do what you want to do because it will fall into place. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've always just done exactly what they want to choose. That's like when people are like, oh, you know, the label's making them sell out. It's like they're on the exact same two labels they've always been on. Yeah. Um, no one's making anyone do anything, aside from the fact that Parkway wanted, like, step it up a bit and played gigantic um, Euro festivals. Because, like, festivals, why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. And I feel like, um, it, like... It would get kind of difficult to kind of want to write the, um, you know, write something like Carry On or, or those songs with those kind of riffs in them because they would have trans- translated well to a 400, 500, 800 capacity room yep. compared to 20,000, 30,000 people like where they want that whole big, you know, not to say Iron yeah. Maiden, but that's the first thing that comes to mind. Like that's that kind of like what they're going for now, really, and it, they're, they're yeah, pulling it off with those newer riffs. Yeah, and it's and the vocal the vocal parts were like the chanting where everybody yeah does that chanting thing. It's like yep. yeah, well, how are you not going to write that if that's what 
you, that's all you do now kind of thing. Well, that's it. And, I mean, the other thing too is like all those older songs, you can't have a song with like ridiculous breakdowns like and all every, you know, yeah. a minute or so in a big thing. It's just, it, it's, you know, made for small rooms. Small rooms yeah. with everyone crammed up against each other. Like yep, it's, absolutely. yeah, he, they've always played to the venues that they've been in. Yep. And they just now happen to be the biggest in the world. Yep. One of the biggest oh, in the world, yeah. They're absolutely the, um, you know, the, the, the successes to the big four, I reckon. Yeah, they're definitely part of the, Yeah, they're, they're the big four for this generation. Yeah. Or this, uh, you know, millennium or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So where do you go from Parkway? Where do you go from Parkway? Um, well, I never go away from Parkway much. No, that's true. That's of, true. Of everyone that's... I know. Um, but you know, around about that time and what I've come back to with spokes model is to take the spirit of Parkway, if you like, um, where you have a vision and you stick to it and you do what you want, regardless of what the music industry trends at the time may be, what, uh, underground trends at the time may be, and really just see that through like and so Spokesmodel for me um, has been the musical project that I've done. I mean, the irony is I spent so many years getting really good at guitar and now I don't play that much guitar <laughs> in Spokesmodel yeah. at all. Um, but it's been the most musically free and easy thing I've, like, ever done. A, probably because there's only one other person. Yeah. Um, and we both communicate really well. Um, but also there's just like no rules like, oh, we have to play, you know, shows Tuesday nights at the old bar and we have to play with these certain bands and we have to try yeah. to impress these certain kinds of people. And because Ben's in Brisbane and I'm in Melbourne, you know, we're not, there's no clicks. Like I'm not deep in some Melbourne click that we're trying to impress. He's not deep in some Brisbane click, you know, that he yep. has to has to try to impress. So... It really but is, I, yeah. I feel like the um the geographical, uh, you know, the way you guys are set up, that kind of, it not like it, it makes you, like you can't like you literally can't. It restricts you from doing so many things, which then knocks all the bullshit out of the way and lets you do exactly Absolutely. what you want to do because you can't do that other stuff anyhow. Yeah, there's no, like, just turning up on a Tuesday night whether you're feeling it or not and then you, like, waste four hours. Yeah. Um, and it, we're both really busy. Ben's got a million things on the go particularly. Um, and so we run the whole thing out of Dropbox and with Reaper and we've got to-do lists and all, all those other bits and pieces. And it has actually been really nice to be working with someone where I can be very nerdy and organised and not have yeah. someone be like, oh, that's not cool. Um, yeah. Because the reality is I'm not interested in cool. You know, cool is all marketing. Um, and yeah. what it's, and that's why what, what is cool at any given point in time, you know, changes. Yeah. Um, like, you know, back when I was a teenager, if someone had told me like all this wellness, you know, stuff that's all over Instagram would be cool, I would be like, are you kidding me? Um, you know, so... I think with Spokesmodel, what's been really... We're both very inspired by Garbage and Nine Inch Nails, obviously, musically. Yeah. But that's how they run their operations as well. Um, like, you know, Nine Inch Nails is basically Trent Reznor and he's had some collaborators along the way. Um, yeah. But Garbage is, you know, for producers, really. Um, yeah. 
and they all you know when they play live of course like Butch Vig plays drums Shirley Manson sings the other two dudes play guitar and keys but Does when it comes Butch, to Butch Vig play, play drums yeah he plays drums in garbage he's always been Assume the drummer you- Assume you play guitar. I don't know why I assume yeah. that, but okay. Yeah. No, he's the drummer in Garbage. Um, right. But, yeah, he, you know, that's how it is live. But in terms of writing and recording, they all do pretty much everything. Uh, obviously, yeah. Shirley sings lead vocals, but for everything else, um, like there are a few, like most of the songs off the first album, Butch wrote the lyrics for. He still occasionally does lyrics for songs here and there. Um, and so, yeah, there's no restrictions in that way. And we were both quite, um, like on our, on our new song that's, uh, well, by the time this goes out, it'll be out. It'll, yeah, cool. we're launching it on Friday. It's called Means to an End. And it began as a demo that Ben tried to pitch to We Set Sail, his other band, yep. and they weren't interested. And then he, um, yeah, he sent me, he played me the demo which at that point was a drum beat and like guitar that one of the dudes from We Set Sail had half-heartedly done over the top. Played something, yeah. Yeah, and I wasn't feeling it. And he played it to me when I was visiting Brisbane over Christmas. Um, And I'm like, no, I'm not feeling it. Anyway, then he (laughs) overlaid some synth over it and I went, okay, now I see what you're doing. Yeah. Now I see see how it works. And that's – but the thing is people assume that um, the way that it works is I write a song – and do all the synths and then Ben does all the editing and all the drums. But um, it's actually quite different. Like the last two songs we've put out, Ben's done most of the synth work. Um, and he he edits all my vocals. I find it really hard to edit my own voice. Yeah, uh, that's for, understandable. For, for track. Like I, I do all the tracking and I do a little, you know, I do all the tracking and I do all the roughs, but Ben comps all the text together and does all the, you know, EQ and a lot of other processing. But it is really cool that, you know, I'll get some alert on Dropbox and there'll be all these stems in there that he's worked on. And it's really good because we just keep batting the ball back and o- over the net. You know, there'll yeah, be some right. sort of problem where I'll be like, oh, I don't know what to do about this. And he'll be like, oh, what about you do this or leave it with me? Or he'll go, I'm stuck. And I'll say, oh, basically, why don't you try ripping off this song? Um, <laughs> or tr- or what about this? Yeah, or what about this idea? Or what about this idea? And so when we're both, it's really rare that we're both stuck at the same time on the same thing, um, yeah. which is really, really great. And um, it's really the only thing that stands in the way is spare time. Um, so it's yeah, it's been actually really, really freeing. And electronic music has been a really interesting thing for me to get into because it's, you know, it's something that I, I. I don't know. I like. I know a lot about guitar and playing in rock bands, and this is something new and different that seems to have fewer rules. Um, so that's been really fun. What was the first single you brought, you put out? Uh, it was a song called "Ceiling Roses," and it had some synth loops that I had come up with when a couple of years ago I broke my ankle, and because of uh, where the washing break- too hard. Oh, I wish. No, I fell over in the car park <laughs> out the back at work. Oh, and that's then not, I had that's to like exciting at all. No, and then I had to like army roll off the road and like ring my colleagues to come and get me. Um, Jesus. yeah, it was extremely undignified, but I had surgery on it and um, so I had to have my leg elevated at all times and that meant I couldn't really play guitar and I was stuck inside, so I started playing around on synth stuff a bit more. I got super super into it. And from there, that's kind of where it all started. I initially pitched to Ben to collaborate 
I mean, we've been wanting to collaborate on stuff for ages, but the distance stood in the way. Yeah. And then I went, you know what, fuck it, I can't. Oh, and, of course, because I had the broken ankle, I couldn't leave the house uh, really like that easily um, and particularly not, you know, before I had surgery on it. Um, so I was housebound, stuck on this synth that really got me thinking about how inaccessible uh, rock music venues are. Like, A, if you're not over 18, you can't get in. And then in Melbourne, there's bloody stairs everywhere. So, like, I couldn't see any bands. So it really was a bit of a circuit breaker for me Um, because I was playing, like, live in my other band a lot back then. Um, So, yeah, I said to Ben, hey, do you want to collaborate on this thing? And initially I wanted it to be all instrumental, no vocals. And then Ben, um, because I had a real chip on my shoulder in the last couple of bands I'd been on, I had been drafted in as a guitarist to not sing and then I ended up having to sing. <laughs> and um, Did you go into it not wanting to sing? Yeah. Did you go, just, sorry, did you go into other bands not wanting to sing? Uh, not, not every single band, but of these bands, I'm like, yeah, I'll play if I don't have to sing because I just want to concentrate on guitar. And then yeah. lo and behold, what, like what would happen was then I would have to start writing more and I'm like, this is not what I was drafted in to do and now I'm carrying all you lazy people. Um <laughs> But, yeah, anyway, and then said Ben uh, Ben was like, no, nah, I think it should be f- more poppy and I reckon you should, you know, if you want to, uh, have vocals. And so they yeah. went, oh, okay, like this is this is really just something I've never done before. I've always either done solo acoustic-y stuff, which I'm very good at but resent, or like more pop rocky things. And it, this has actually been a really good uh, thing for my voice and my songwriting. It's been really good. So we put our first song out uh, May last year. Was it that long ago? It was that long ago. The problem is um, we started this project and then Ben's work life just got a bit ridiculous and he's since, you know, changed his day job and he's we, we've been so much more productive this year than last year um, because, yeah, yes, yeah, so it was that long ago and, you know, we're about to have this third song out and we've got about five others the problem is it's that classic thing where you start something new and I have a whole Dropbox folder of ideas and other bits and pieces and loops that Ben, you know, will jump on. So occasionally like one of us will have to say to the other, let's finish this one or let's finish this one. Um, because the thing is with this whole project, it's not just the writing. You know, we've also got to track it and then edit it and then mix it and all, all of that stuff. Um, cause we're in, which, we're which is never easy. Well, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. enough when you're doing it and the person's in front of you, like yeah. when you can bounce ideas off each other, let alone like, Oh, I'll do my part and put it there and wait for a response. Well, yeah, that's it. And I mean, but the other thing too, is it's, you know, there's a couple of times where Ben's come back to me and been like, that vocal take is pretty slack. Um, you're going to need to do that again. Like he's really nice about it, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've had to get much better at setting up my, uh, you know, chain, like my whole signal chain and everything for it. Yeah. Um, but it's all good. It's all learning, and I like, you know, learn the whole way. And um, and actually, a big influence uh, for this project, obviously on both of us, but on me, is Ben's band We Set Sail because what a band, what a band. But also, they've always recorded all their own stuff. Um, Jimmy, the guitarist, who's been one of Ben's best friends since high school, uh, he is an electrician 
by trade, okay. but he ha- has just all this this fantastic gear, and he's recorded all of the We Set Sail albums, um, and a few other th- you know bits and pieces here and there. Local Brisbane and stuff. Yeah, local Brisbane stuff. Friends. Um, I did an EP with him, and yeah, like he. So the whole band, I think their first album, they recorded it and then re-recorded the entire thing. Um, Rivals or one before that? Uh, Rivals. Yeah, okay. Yep. This was Rivals and Feel Nothing was, they, they managed to actually. Was, yeah. The more recent one. Um, but yeah, the fact that they do everything themselves and, you know, it's just, it's like, like I said, the spirit of Parkway, doing everything themselves, you know, within their own capabilities and not thinking that someone else will necessarily do it better um because some in some cases that is true other people can you know if they've got more skills than you um but i still think that it's that classic thing that no one is ever going to care uh more about your music than you do than you you, absolutely mm, like even if you have like the world's most obsessive fan of a particular band you know uh, it's unlikely that they're going to care more about the music than the person who made it yeah Um, and especially especially the newer stuff yeah, like it, oh, someone yeah. someone can be a mega fan of a band, mm. but no one loves the new band's new stuff. Yeah, yeah, as much exactly. as yeah, as much as the people that wrote it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think um, yeah, we set sail. Just the fact that they do as everything in house. You know, Jimmy records everything. They have always had permanent rehearsal spaces that are almost like clubhouses that they share with other bands, which I always thought was super cool. Um, you know, it is, it's that community thing. It's that making something together thing. And, um, yeah, so for Spokesmodel, it was like, well, why can't I take that approach? Why can't we take that approach and do it our own way in, in, in this particular expression? Uh, and it both, it both suits us really well because, you know, we're both getting older uh, and have other commitments. And, um, I actually found it, um, harder and harder to get out to gigs in Melbourne when I quit drinking because, you know, it's such a big part of the gig experience. And there's a couple of bands in, there's a couple of venues in Melbourne that make it really fucking hard for you to participate in live music if you're not drinking, you know, with really late, late headlining start times and, you know, two drink minimums and stuff like that. Is and that so a I, thing down there? Well, I mean, in some, some places venues. it is. At some yeah. venues it is. Um, or you feel like the absolute scum of the earth um, for not drinking. And, you know, like I understand, you know, because they're running a business and their primary business is in fact to sell... Is the alcohol, yeah. Is to sell alcohol, not to have bands on. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like my own health and well-being, I'm like, I can't stay out late every night sinking piss regularly. Um, like my my capacity to endure that is just cooked. I can't do it anymore. Um, but it's such a big part. And Melbourne, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit. I can't really speak for other places. And you know, it was so long since I've been in you know part of the Brisbane scene. But you know, there there are real aspects of the Melbourne scene that are very boozy, and you feel like you know you're a bit locked out of it if you. Um, if you can't drink or you you get to like 11.30 and you're like, God, I need to go to bed, not like, you know, drink five beers. Yeah, like it's definitely um, Melbourne, in my opinion, Melbourne mm. definitely embraced, embraced that. Yeah. Like 
again from playing. So we used to travel down and play at the nightclubs that had bands, and the bands would start at eleven o'clock. Yep, they've it's always like, been like what that. What the fuck are we doing? Like, yeah, like you know, it was it was fantastic. But yeah, as someone who wasn't a big boozer slash partier, mm. it was like cool. <sighs> I'm, like I I'm went done. Well, yeah. I went and saw this. I had like the dream experience seeing this band on Friday night because the headliner started at ten. I'm like, thank Jesus Christ. But even yep. weeknights, you know, band, like venues are, are not inclined to move their entertainment forward on weeknights because I'm sure like if you've moved everything forward on weeknights, people would still drink a little bit more than they should have, but they'll go home at 9 o'clock. Um, yeah, they'll still squeeze the same amount of alcohol in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that's what in Queensland when all the pubs had to shut at 6 p.m., you know. Yep, they just <laughs> anchored down. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The six o'clock swill. So yeah. Anyway, for for me, um, Spokesmodel's a funny mash of you know the the punk rock DIY sensibility of do everything yourself and be involved. Without, I feel like this is some you know wanker speak, but there are some <laughs> bands um, out at the moment uh, who I won't name because it just makes me sound like a jealous bitch but there are heaps of bands who are like punk bands punk you know we're a punk band but they're like they're not they they're not from the punk scene you know they've got managers and they're on very corporate record labels and they've got uh clothing deals and um they're operating as much they're operating in a similar way that hip-hop people do for example like lots of hip-hop stars and it's like well what even is it a genre is it here's a good here's a good analogy so I taught I taught guitar pedals I like did a guitar pedal workshop at Girls Rock oh did uh, you really yeah uh, last year Unreal. Um, in, yeah in Melbourne which was awesome um and you know for anyone who doesn't know what Girls Rock is it's a no give it please yeah, yeah. give it a quick plug yeah. not even quick give it a plug yeah, yeah. well so they it's part of a network of all these you know volunteer run camps all around the world but Girls Rock Melbourne and there's like one in Brisbane and Adelaide and, um, you know, shout out to Hannah doing it in Adelaide. Indeed. And Sydney and Canberra, uh, you know, doing these camps for uh, young girls and uh, young trans and non-binary kids to uh, a school holiday camp. So I think it goes from age 11 to 17 and they split the kids up. Uh, So there's like an older cohort, which is like 15 to 17 and the younger one. Yep. Um, and within that week, you like some kids already know how to play an instrument, you know, like a rock instrument. Some, you know, just you know get to learn, and yep. then during that week, they form, you know, you know, get to do their instruments, and then they form bands and write a song together, and then they all perform it at a showcase. Which and is so it's, good. Yeah, which is so cool, and you know, the mentors are amazing. They teach them, you know, the classics like rolling up leads, but also how to communicate non-verbally. So say, you know, how the drummer counts in four, but also like say if you're about to move into the bridge or something and you're like, I'll give you a look. Yep, um, yep. And it's amazing. It's just amazing. So seeing these kids blossom, you know, over that week is just fantastic. But anyway, when I was, you know, doing my preparation for how I was going to run this thing, um, I said to the organisers, because I knew on the forms that, you know, you have to fill out to get in. Um, and it's not selective on like music ability or anything. It's just like come on in um you have the the kids applying put down uh what their favorite musical artists are and 
And um, these kids are so non-bound by genre. There's none of this, I'm a punk, I only listen to punk music. Or, yep. you know, like, that's just not how they operate. Because they've all had access to streaming, like, to YouTube and Spotify and everything yeah. um, since they were little. From the get-go, yeah, they were born yeah. into it. Yeah. And so these kids are listening, they'd be like, um, you know, Nirvana, Mac DeMarco, um, Ariana Grande. Like, it's just everyone had such eclectic music taste and I feel like genre is just, like, not really a thing for younger people coming up now. Um, I, yeah, I, I never thought that until mm. bizarrely enough I watched an interview with Billy – well, not bizarrely that I watched an interview mm. with Billy Joe Armstrong, mm. but he mentioned it like, and he mentioned a really interesting phrase which was gender fluid uh, – gender fluid, sorry, genre fluid. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, no, like y- y- kids aren't punks or metalheads or whatever nowadays. They just dig music. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think yeah. that's – you see the way that like a band like Bring Me the Horizon has evolved. You see uh, musical artists like because um, they came over and supported Parkway Drive like back in the yeah. day, back and now the their day, stuff yeah. is 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 you know super different. And people like Billie Eilish, who's just completely, you know, not not any genre. Um, and that's once again like I feel it's kind of come a bit full circle because um, my final song is actually, you know, I think the prompt was, you know, something that sums up where you're at now. Absolutely. Or similar. And uh, it's the song Younger Now uh, by Miley Cyrus. Fantastic. Which which is, do you know that song? I'd know it if I heard it, but just like for someone to pick Miley Cyrus makes me so happy. Yeah, because she is extremely underrated because – well, she's not underrated. She's extremely famous and rich, so, like, whatever. But I think that people (laughs) – But as an artist. She's she's not – you know, people dismiss her too easily, I think is what I need to say. Um, Because, like, yeah, she came through the Disney, you know, era. And then she had the Bangers era where she was, you know, with We Don't Stop and the twerking, which was – you know what? It was just embarrassing. And, like, who – hasn't been like 21 and been like extremely embarrassing for like a couple of years. Oh, I'm um, yeah. I'm really happy that social media wasn't really a thing when oh, I was 21. Yep. And yeah. like imagine and like you look at all those Disney stars, like some of them have ended up you, you get Britney, you you get yeah. your Britneys, you get your Demi Lovato's, like all these other young you know women. But Timberlake held it down. Timberlake held it down, but the women yeah. the young women particularly get really fucked up. And yeah. so if the worst that can happen to Miley Cyrus is that she puts out a couple of fucking weird albums and makes some poor choices and like smokes weed too openly all the time. Yeah. Um like, you know, it could be way worse, but and then she got back together with Liam Hemsworth and you know, but the thing is, the two with Miley, you know, she was obviously, we all talk about Billy Ray, but her godmother is Dolly Parton. And wow, I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, godmother's Dolly, they're quite close. And um, so she's been raised in that whole country music Nashville thing. Yeah. And so after she did like Miley Cyrus and her dead pets and bangers, the things like Wrecking Ball is a country song. All that happens is she just like wore some hot pants and everyone like lost their mind. Um, But Wrecking Ball is essentially a country song. Um, It's a country ballad. She's got a beautiful voice for that stuff. Um, But what I love about Younger Now is that it comes off the album Younger Now. She's got a new album coming out um, soon, I think this year, but this is the one she did a couple of years ago that flopped a little bit. Um, And it's mostly like a bit country, but this song – 
is is basically you know her being like um even though it's not who I am you know it feels like I just woke up feels like I've been in a dream even though it's not who I am I'm not afraid of who I used to be and the whole song is basically about yeah look did some shit it was a bit weird and I'm not ashamed of it I don't regret it and I actually feel like way yeah, people talk about older and wiser. It's more like older, but like more invigorated. Yeah. Um, and the whole the song is just you know beautifully written, and I feel it's a bit full circle too because it's that whole acoustic instruments like the band, um, you know, really classic songwriting. Um, but it also sums up where I am now, where I feel like, you know, my teens were super angsty, and then like I don't know what was going on in my twenties. And I, I feel don't like think now, anyone does. No, nobody does. And that's the thing. No. Nobody does. But um, you only learn that when you hit your 30s. Exactly, which is where I'm at now. And I feel like, yep. oh, glad that was out of the way. Let's uh, yeah. <laughs> let's see what I can do now. So, yeah, that's why I've chosen uh, Younger Now. That's amazing. Um, look, I, I love I, – this was, this was really, really fun to record and I'm happy that we could end it with some Miley Cyrus because I hadn't – I just assume, you know, I shouldn't assume anything because mm. everyone's going to throw different things at me. But um, I just, yeah, like I just, this isn't the thing. I would, in a million years, I would never have picked anyone to pick Miley Cyrus and I'm stoked that you did. Yep. Like it's, it's unreal. <laughs> yeah, so, hey. Thank you so much for spending the time with me and doing this. We've just hit, well, as my recording goes, we've hit two hours. So like. Christ, we're going to have to do some editing. <laughs> oh, no, no. We keep it, uh, you know, except for the bits we said we'll edit out. Mm. We keep it all in, baby. Don't worry about that. Like, you know, it's all about content these days. So um, where can people find um, Spokesmodel um, and all your other artistic endeavours uh, on the social medias and that kind of thing? All right. So the place to go, I mean, we've got the website, which is spokesmodelband.com. And we are Spokesmodel on Instagram and Facebook. We're more active on uh, Instagram just because, you know, it seems to give us, you know, a little bit more love. Um, And then I have my own website, which I'm actually, it'll be up by the time this website, by the time this episode is up, which is sophiebenjamin.com. So that's all my writing and all the other stuff that I do. Which we didn't even get into, but I guess like writing's... You know, if people want to hear, which they yeah. should want to hear, delve more into it, they can go to your website and find it all there. Yeah, yeah. Unreal. Yes. Before you go on, mm. would, would like, was a We Set Sail song in the, um, was it potentially going to get a run? Was there a We Set Sail song? That was no, there wasn't. I'd, like, no, okay. cut that out of there. But you should Sorry. do one of these with Ben when um, their album comes out. Um, thank you so much for spending the time and doing this on a what night is it Wednesday night so late well for me it's late and for you it's late I'm no, sure as well it's for me it's late too but yeah. it was an absolute pleasure cool um Miley Cyrus younger now
Alright, again, thank you very much for making it this far. Um, my Age Podcast on, on Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of jazz. Uh, write, review, do, do that or don't do that. It's, it doesn't matter. If you're listening to this, if you're listening this far into it, you've probably already done that already. So, you know, that's appreciated. Um, yeah, cool. That's about it. See you in a fortnight. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling. Like their father or their dog just died. Everybody talking to their pockets. Everybody wants. A box of chocolates and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. Everybody knows you've been discreet, but there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it Calvary uh, to the beach.
beach in Malibu. Everybody knows it's coming upon. Take one last look at this sacred heart before it blows. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody That's how it goes.